Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. That awkward pause that always gets us. Uh, welcome to the uh, Wednesday, June 21st edition of the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy that you're joining us tonight. Uh, we want to start off with saying uh, our guest, Stacy Stewart uh, from the National Hurricane, Hurricane Center, <coughs> excuse me, will not be joining us tonight. Obviously, uh, Tropical Cindy about to make landfall in the uh, Louisiana, Texas areas watching TV up above me. So uh, Stacy's a little busy tonight. So hopefully we can uh, get Stacy back on later on this summer, maybe early fall to uh, kind of talk about um, the National Hurricane Center. And, and uh, guys, I want to bring you in since it's kind of a, a, a different show than what we expect. And uh, we, we finally got to see uh, some of the uh, new tropical outlooks and uh, potential uh, tropical cyclone development uh, graphics and stuff like that. So I'm sure we can talk about that tonight as well. But uh, again, Stacy Stewart from the National Hurricane Center will not be joining us tonight. Uh, a little busy tonight with uh, Tropical Storm Cindy. Uh, but we look to uh, get Stacy back on the show later on uh, this summer or early this fall. Besides that, live broadcast tonight, we're going to be talking about Cindy and its effects, uh, not only along the Gulf Coast, but here in the southeast as well. So if you are watching tonight, please feel free to send any questions or comments uh, to us via Twitter. Carolina WX Group is the best way you can submit those questions. But uh, if you're not a Twitter follower and you want to watch on, uh, if you're more of a Facebook uh, person, uh, send those comments via our Facebook page. We'll monitor both of those and uh, get to them as needed throughout the rest of the show. So again, uh, active uh, tropical week. We had Tropical Storm Brett and Tropical Storm Cindy. Uh, so it's been uh, kind of a hectic week for the Hurricane Center. So we totally understand the states not being with us tonight. So guys, uh, it's been a fairly calm here in the uh, southeast. I know uh, Monday... Uh, we've had a slow cold front sagging through the area, and here in, in, in my house, I can say, uh, we got 2.25 inches of rain in about a 90-minute time, uh, time period. So uh, we've had some heavy rain on Monday, but besides that, it's been kind of quiet over the past few days. Uh, how's things up in uh, the Bristol, Tennessee area, Ricky? We've been kind of dry, and uh, we've been telling folks to enjoy the dry weather because we are expecting some of that moisture from Cindy to move into our area. Really probably coming late Thursday into Friday, Saturday, and then uh, the European ones bring us another slug of moisture as we go into Sunday and Monday, so we keep an eye on that one. But pretty calm, pretty nice, uh, not too bad for June, first day of summer, and we were in the low 80s, so I guess we can't complain, especially after last year when we were hitting 90 all the time. Yeah, it, you know, we're not in that drought, and uh, it has been a little bit cooler. I think we've hit 90 degrees a few times, but nothing like uh, last year. So, uh, Shay, how's uh, things down there along the uh, the coastal areas of South Carolina? Well, it was hot and muggy for a few days there over the weekend, but then now we've got some cloud cover and insulation overhead. Plus, we've got rains. Uh, things are staying a little bit on the cool side, so we're about low to mid-80s. And I mean, for the first day of summer, we can't really complain about temperatures. Uh, seeing as we had some some low 90s that felt like near 100 degrees, I think our heating indices climbed to near 100 there by I think Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. So uh, not bad, not bad start. It is like I said, it's wet and muggy here. We're on and off showers and storms. Uh, some of that Gulf moisture from tropical tropical storm Cindy uh, being kind of funneled up over to our area and along the cold front. Uh, the cold front's definitely stalled. Looks like it's fizzling out mid-state, upstate. I thought maybe we kind of near the coast by yesterday, but it looks like the Bermuda High uh, has kept that back inland from the coastline. 
Uh, in fact, we did see some northeasterly winds and east flow actually drive, drive over the top of the front and down and sink down along the coastline today. That was kind of a surprise. I thought we'd hold the southerly flow, but it got undercut by that cool air sinking or cooler air sinking. So yeah, I mean, a little bit of dynamics along the coastline ahead of that front uh, as it breaks down over time. It looks like we we were in the window for a lot of rain. Uh, I was I was almost certain we would probably get some torrential downfalls, but that that has weakened as the track of Cindy has gone further to the northwest along the Louisiana Texas border. And we'll get into that in just a minute. So that's our weather to be expected the next couple of days. We're going to keep the clouds around, some on and off uh, showers and storms. I think we may get some dry lining at the coast, maybe by Friday, uh, as the sea breeze turns on and another cold front approaches the region. We may clear out by Friday and um, see some uh, more pleasant uh, weather in the sky, but the temperatures will go up, of course, with sunshine. So back to you, Scotty. Yeah, interesting you say that, Shay. I was uh, working an event last night at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and uh, it's kind of almost like we were wedged in last night as well. We had some fog and some just light rain and drizzle, uh, really not uh, not hard for late June uh, weather standards-wise. So uh, interesting about that, but it does look like that uh, eventually next week, like you said, Shay, that cold front will move through and we'll kind of get some uh, clear weather. So I'm going to toss it off to you and Ricky. You guys are kind of our, our tropical experts. We'll show you uh, living there in Charleston, and Ricky has lived up in or was born up in the Virginia Beach area, so you guys have a little bit more experience in tropics than I do. So it has been a busy week. So, Shay, um, you know, I think you were talking earlier on social media this week. You know, we've had two tropical systems uh, this week in June. It's off to an early start. It is often early start. One one thing that's significant, the Gulf isn't as significant as what developed with Brett across the Atlantic, the intertropical convergence zone. Uh, being that far south, typically we see more activity as that ITCZ, we call it, lifts further north and you get into the Cape Verde season. Uh, things tend to spin up a little bit more off of Africa, but this one snuck in down below and it really just kind of held on as a strong tropical wave all the way across and became Tropical Storm Brett islands so tobago um, um those islands in the in the windward chain uh definitely felt some tropical storm force winds but as it moved into the central caribbean it got uh, torn apart by some upper shear and just a, a, a more hostile environment so uh but that was still significant i, th I think we got a ricky did those winds <laughs> i hate to ask this on air but <laughs> 45 miles per hour for that system uh to be honest with you i didn't even realize that brett dissipated and wasn't it thing anymore uh, because I haven't been paying attention to that one. That one hasn't really, you know, it was certainly a neat little thing to have happen, but it's, it was out there and we had other concerns at the time. And I was like, Oh, neat, a tropical cyclone in the Caribbean. Right. Yeah. It became, it, it quickly went down to a depression and a post-tropical uh, and it's just barely a wave now to get got pretty much caught up in a slough of uh, southwesterly upper shear. Uh, so that system dissipated, but but uh, more importantly, you know, in the Gulf, which affected the United States, was Tropical Storm Cindy, which came originally from east of the Yucatan Peninsula, uh, as some moisture shielding came together. When we say moisture shield, we mean that the easterly trades uh, that blow through places like Key West, places you're familiar with, maybe down uh, in Puerto Rico and, and some of those islands, uh, the, the Caribbean islands, what you get is you get an easterly trade flow, and you get these batches of, of or surges of moisture that pile up into the Western Caribbean. And then you get a little bit of uh, southerly wind up from the, the East Pacific 
you end up with a little bit of rotation. And so what happens is you get a little tropical wave. And then uh, as that heads northwest, what it did was it kind of jumped over the Yucatan Peninsula and came together, just the right conditions for some surface rotation to come together. And then it became ultimately Tropical Storm Cindy. We thought maybe it would be subtropical with an extended wind field. The warm core was definitely going to stay for it. But uh, we thought maybe the system would be more elliptical or asymmetrical and keep uh, an extended wind field way beyond the center. Uh, sometimes subtropical can mean that the wind, wind field is further removed away from the center of convection. So uh, it did not, and it's about to hit the coast. I'll go ahead and share a screen. And let me know when you can see it. We got you good? You. Yep, yep. So here's the uh, rain, latest rainbow imagery from the National Hurricane Center. And you can see the, the system really doesn't look, it looks rather rugged. Uh, it has a dry core. You can see some convection along the north and northwestern quadrant, which that's that's kind of a first. Usually this convection has been along the north to northeastern and eastern side. But you can see still see plenty of moisture training up into the, the Florida panhandle along Mississippi, Alabama, Florida. Uh, a lot of that tropical banding coming up from the Gulf, just feeding over the coastline. Look at the track. Here's the latest from the NHC. You can see the track here by, I'd say tonight, this thing's going to make landfall. It's a tropical storm. Winds are 50 miles per hour. Pressure is at, I think it was 995 millibars the last I looked. And this is going to, to make landfall uh, right along the Texas-Louisiana coastline, head north, and then swing to the to the east as an upper level. Uh, the upper level jetting is going to pull this system off to the east pretty quickly. So we're looking for some increased rain along that area. Here's the uh, COD GOES-16 imagery. You get a better look at that. You can see the, the convection firing off along the, the north northwest quadrant, even the western quadrant in some of those, those last frames there. Uh, water vapor imagery, this is mid-level. This is why the system has such a dry core. This is 500 millibar mid-level winds. And you can see all that dry air, the yellows and oranges wrapped around to the west and south and southeast of the storm. You can see that dry air kind of wrapping in around to the northeast as well at this point. So that's, that's kind of... Um, our latest look at the system, it doesn't look that impressive, but it is expected to weaken once it hits landfall, of course, and then drives off to the north, northeast, and across the country. So rainfall totals, uh, I'll, let, I'll let Ricky talk a little bit about that. Uh, real quick, morph composite. Now, we talked about that dry air, and you can see this moisture. Basically, we talked about the moisture shield, shield piling up in the Western Caribbean and into the Gulf, and you can still see at the surface that there's still a pretty good amount of moisture with the system. Uh, that dry air is at the mid-level, which is going to keep it from strengthening at all. So that's a good thing. Uh, but the rainfall totals for the Gulf Coast have been pretty large. There's been a lot of flooding there. So I'll leave it up to you, Ricky. Yeah, I mean, that's really going to be the the story with this system, I think, is going to be the heavy rainfall. Not so much in areas where the storm is impacting now, perhaps, but even all the way up into tech or portions of Tennessee, Mississippi, maybe even Kentucky. Uh, here's as Shay was showing some of the rain and satellite imagery now, and I've turned on the METARs to show you some of the strong winds. And we do have strong winds a decent distance away from the center. They're all the way over to Pensacola. Some of these bands are coming through. It's interesting to see like the spiral rain bands all the way over here along the Florida Panhandle with the center of circulation south of uh, Lake Charles there. But the heavy rainfall potential is really going to be what I'm concerned about as we go into, let's say, the next two, three days. Let me share a different screen here uh, and I'll bring up Google Earth. And this is the five day uh, WPC outlook. And you can notice the big area 
of heavy rainfall. And I think some areas, you know, this is probably underdoing it, but three, four, five inches, certainly possible across portions of eastern Texas, up in Louisiana, Arkansas, western Tennessee, and even up into portions of eastern Kentucky, central Tennessee, um, probably in West Virginia as well. But, you know, as you guys very well know, with tropical moisture, sometimes they can overachieve a little bit. So these three, four inch range numbers may actually be a little on the low side. Uh, as Shay was showing you earlier with that precipital water imagery, there's a lot of moisture with this. And when you combine the extra lift that a cold front coming in from the Northwest is gonna provide, it's kind of a, a perfect scenario for big, heavy rainfall totals across this area. Let's show you the uh, WPC excessive rainfall outlook. And I will stop sharing this and I will share a different screen. Give me one moment. We will share this one. Can you guys see that there? Yep, we got you, Ricky. Okay, cool. I didn't know if it was still showing the Hangout screen. So this is the uh, WPC excessive rainfall outlook. And you notice, interesting, they actually go to, uh, to high tonight across portions of the Florida, southern Alabama, southern Mississippi, Gulf Coast region. And then we get into that large swath of moderate flooding potential across portions of Tennessee up into eastern Kentucky, West Virginia. Uh, this is approaching the one-year anniversary of those floods in Greenbrier, West Virginia. So bad timing when it comes to the potential for flooding there. And it really it extends into portions of western southwest Virginia as well. Lee Wise, Dickinson, Buchanan County, uh, probably in the portions of Russell Scott. But the interesting thing, Shay, is you were kind of showing that water vapor imagery earlier is whether we'll get a dry slot. And Scotty, that's one of the things for you guys in portions of the stop sharing there for portions of you know western north carolina you may luck out a little bit to where you guys don't get a ton of rain from it i guess depending on your point of view luck out um, in terms of being in that dry slot yeah that's definitely uh that was a concern for us earlier in this week um you know it's no big secret you guys as well in the bristol area ricky we've had a lot of rain this this spring and, and early summer and uh you know, we was looking at this tropical system maybe bearing down on us, giving us five, six inches of rain from that, uh, you know, and it was looking like the possibility of, of some flash flooding uh, for, for Western North Carolina. And, um, you know, thankfully that, that dry slot's moved in, and it looks like we are going to kind of luck out. We may get some heavy rain Friday into Saturday morning, uh, but, you know, with it not being a couple of days spread out and just kind of in and out to – definitely help us out uh, kind of drought we've we've been really wet and so that dry slot for this time is uh is playing uh playing in our cards to the good side so and one uh, of the things with this that. heavy rainfall potential you know that water that falls especially across the ohio river valley the tennessee river valley has to go somewhere i saw a release from tva just a little bit ago they're going to lower some of the levels at the reservoirs which is typical what they do ahead of heavy rainfall events uh but we could have the potential you know to have some Creek stream river rises as we go into the weekend across portions of, I think, central Kentucky, probably central Tennessee, maybe east Tennessee as well. Not a, a major flood event, but certainly something to keep our eye on. So, yeah, gentlemen, um, you were talking about how the system's going to slide up and around uh, around the mountains along the, the windward side of the mountains. And I'm just going to run the GFS. This is off Tropical Tidbits. Our friend Levi Cowan does a wonderful site, wonderful job of the site. Uh, but if you notice that feature, if you see the little dot out here in the Atlantic, that's Bermuda. And this is a Bermuda high. This is a classic blocking pattern that sits out in the ocean. 
and steers a lot of these systems. That's why cold fronts come here to die in the southeast in the summertime because this high pressure keeps everything kind of piled up inland. And I'm going to run this forward and you can see how this high just sort of sits and all that activity goes up and around it. In time, that high does erode and it backs off to the east and then the cold front will be able to advance, but then it builds back in and that cold front is going to stall. So this is a, this is sort of a, uh, in this GFS, you start to get 108 hours out with a cold front. Things kind of get a little bit erroneous, but you can kind of see what's going on there. Uh, but very, very unique how that all works, how the system, the steering pattern, not for Cindy. Uh, Cindy was steered by some other uh, factors, but you can see as anything approaches the southeast with these strong Bermuda highs in the summertime, uh, you can see the effect that it has as it goes up and around. Uh, there was one other thing I wanted to show, and Ricky was showing the winds earlier. This is our datascope viewer. You have this in storm track on wind alert and you can see some of these these values they're, they're definitely holding tropical storm force winds and higher and gusting up to um you know 50 miles per hour now a lot of these stations you have to remember there's a lot of oil rigs out here in the gulf of mexico so there's going to be some biased readings these are higher up you're talking 81 feet at south marsh uh, there's another one over here ship shoal that's 246 feet high so some of these values that might be picked up in some of the products uh, are definitely biased on the readings. You, you think, you know, that high up, the winds will be higher than at the absolute surface. So we got we kind of come over here closer to the coastline and we have some other weather stations, some of our weather stations. This one is uh, 38 feet uh, high and we have 25 miles per hour. This is along the northwest quadrant. So probably not seeing the strongest winds with an offshore flow in this area. You tend to get a dirtier wind flow. Uh, but some of these areas, Eugene Island, 33 feet, gusting to 40 miles, 40 miles per hour. Uh, you definitely could see some sustained tropical storm force winds along these zones, along the coastal zones. There was a tornado in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, and tornado warnings were up. There, it is in the local storm report, but they still have to verify what strength it was. There were some trees down. I got in on some of that action and, and uh, relayed some information to the NWS chat there. But you can you can definitely see here the winds are up. It's very windy in this area, very squall-like conditions going on, especially as we get into Pensacola, Florida, and on to the east. These tropical bands are moving in well removed from the center of Cindy. So this, this is another reason why tropical storms in the Gulf of Mexico can be so dangerous because there's so much moisture available and the warm with the warm waters, the warm air, you have the subtropical jet feeding aloft and you have you have all this rain spreading all the way even into florida so um the cold front really only drops down to i would say northern mid georgia maybe even to, into parts of uh just just northern florida where the cold front pretty much dissipates and the rest of this is gulf moisture training up and converging into that front so uh that's a pretty significant value but that's that's the latest on the winds there i think steering pattern again with these upper level winds going from west to east across the country. This is what's going to ultimately pick up these winds, mid to upper level winds uh, to pull it away. Originally, we thought maybe the euro would be right by taking this thing into southern Texas and just sort of dissipating over Mexico. But it looks like the GFS. Ricky, your thoughts on that? I think the GFS did a pretty good job, especially from like a week out. It, which is surprising because when we talked about the GFS upgrade, what was the one group that didn't want the GFS upgrade to be implemented? The Hurricane Center because they didn't see any positive feedback from it, which is, you know, interesting to see how it got this one even early in the, the going, as you said, pretty good uh, compared to some of the other modeling. 
you know, Shay, you were talking about I was just skimming um, the the NWS chat um, for all the weather offices along the Gulf. You're talking about that tornado warning. Uh, I did uh, pull up the uh, Mobile um, uh, weather office there, and it did say confirmation from law enforcement of a tornado on the ground near Highway 84 in Covington mm -hmm. County. Uh, I've so, seen a, a lot of pictures floating around Twitter over the past, I guess, 20 minutes or so. I guess there was a water spout that came ashore or got very close to shore in Pensacola Beach. Yep. And uh, some people were tweeting those pictures to James Spann, the other typical meteorologist. Uh, talking about the, the tornado risk, though, here's the SPC outlooks. And, you know, obviously highest along the Gulf Coast states, Louisiana, Texas, Louisiana, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, and portions of Florida. But that risk does extend a little bit north and east in the coming days. Here's the day two outlook, pretty much just slightly west of the same regions. Uh, going into day three here, the Storm Prediction Center has a slight risk out for portions of northern Alabama, southern portions of Tennessee, and northeast portions of Mississippi. Uh, you know, even a, a small risk into portions of our area, Scotty, in western North Carolina. Wouldn't shock me at all to see a gusty shower or storm or maybe even an isolated tornado uh, in northeast Tennessee you know, right along that storm track as the system pulls up to the north and east. Yeah, that's something you always have to watch. Uh, you know, we, we've had our fair share of, of Gulf of Mexico landfalling, uh, tropical events that move up through the upstate and western North Carolina into northeast Georgia. And those are always um, eager to produce a few uh, sm uh, small I'm sorry, I was looking at my Twitter account. Uh, a few small spin-ups, and that's a likely uh, possibility as well as we go into the week. Um, yep. Talking with the guys from Memphis Weather, we've had Eric on a few times, uh, and Cindy is is looking to affect, affect the Memphis area. So uh, Eric and the guys at Memphis Weather may be joining us here in just a little bit to kind of talk about the impacts there in, in uh, Western Tennessee and the um, the northern uh, Mississippi area. So working with those guys behind the scene to try to get those on to kind of get their perspective as well. So that's why I was kind of scatterbrained there for a minute. <laughs> oh no, no, you get right ahead, Scott. A good catch. I was gonna I was gonna mention Eric Eric uh, Persius earlier. Uh, it'd be great to have him on. He's he loves tropical weather. He loves to jump on and, and chime in with that. Uh, so as far yeah, rainfall, Ricky. I tell you that that area. Um, and it's gonna be interesting if you remember Hurricane Bill. 2012, I think it was Hurricane Bill, when it came ashore in Texas, uh, it held together rotation for quite some time once it moved into the central United States and started this very, very similar track to what the system has. They they had a lot of rain beforehand, which made the ground super saturated. There was river flooding. There was all kinds of, I mean, basically you had a pool of water on the ground for a system to draw from once it moved on land. So we call that the brown ocean effect when a system moves on land and actually maintains tropical status for some time as it moves on, uh, it can it can sort of sap the juice out of the land and live on it uh, for a little bit longer. So it's a pretty neat idea. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to watch to see what happens here. They haven't had as much rain as when before Tropical Storm Bill moved ashore, uh, but it'll be certainly interesting to watch to see if the moisture content holds and all the way into the Northeast United States. Back then there was a strong Bermuda high as well, which actually shielded us in the Southeast in Charleston. We barely saw any rain from that whole event so we'll um we'll see what happens with it i i'd be interested to find what the, the moisture train will do and, and keep that gulf moisture coming up from the south as it moves out to the northeast well i was looking at some tornado stuff earlier i, I looked at the tornado warning they had in what was it, new orleans i guess it was around one o'clock maybe two o'clock this afternoon and scotty 
The interesting thing with that was, want to guess what the beam height was? The max beam height I was able to spot any rotation on. I would I would say it was pretty pretty low. It was about four thousand feet. Yeah. Want to guess what the lowest scan of the uh, 88D is across much of our region? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Six, seven thousand or so. Yeah. yeah. So that that's the thing, you know, these low topped mini supercells in a way. Uh, <laughs> Pretty hard to spot the rotation on them sometimes when they're moving through. They are, and and Ricky, you know as well as I do here in our area, we kind of get those little uh, QLCS type systems, and that's what these kind of tornadoes—they're they're there and they're gone within a minute or two. So, yeah. uh, very hard to predict uh, for sure. So that's something uh, I would not want to be a forecaster tonight in in the uh, South Alabama, South uh, Mississippi area as these bands come on the shore. Yeah, especially those that water spouts. Um, yeah, sure. that, that whole area, Okaloosa Island, uh, Pensacola Beach, I'm looking at them now. I'm looking at the wind speeds. we got sustained winds of 30, 31 miles per hour, gusting to 40. Uh, it, you know, that area is very prone. I know uh, a group of large group of kiteboarders in that area, and, and I always bring up kiteboarding in the show, but these guys are in tune with the weather there, and they, they're always out on the water, and they see water spouts all the time. That's a very common area for water spouts to form and come onto land. So that's... That's a, a well-known spot. They usually come along the thin strip of land, the Crystal Coast, and then they, they sort of dissipate once they get back over the other side of the water uh, and move into the, the inland locales. But, yeah, very – they get a lot of rotation in that area for sure. That's a common spot. It's actually a pretty nice couplet right now moving through portions of southern Alabama. Uh, we'll see if I can't bring that up and share some stuff. i got to turn off different layers of warnings uh, tropical storm warnings apparently want to plot really, really big on my map. So we'll turn that off and we'll uh, try to bring up the Fort Rucker radar or maybe, not sure if that one's up. Maybe we'll try bringing up a different radar site. But then this tornado uh, warned storm has pretty much just been by itself over the past little bit. Hasn't had a whole lot of anything else to go around it. Hasn't really had any other circulation around it. We'll pull up that. And if we can get the radar data to load, ah, that's my, there's my problem. I had it on maximum hail size. Probably not going to have a ton of hail <laughs> in, uh, in these storms. But check out this. I mean, this little cell is just by itself right out here. With the max DBZ on the Eglin radar is what, 45 DBZ? So certainly not the, the most impressive storm you've ever seen producing a tornado. But that's what these little things do is they're very small, very isolated, and they can spin up tornadoes pretty quickly. As they move through, we'll get some of the storm relative motion on here. We'll probably have to go back a few frames because I think the rotation is certainly weakened a little bit now from what it was. Uh, but right through there, there's your little little teeny tornado couplet. Can you find it? <laughs> uh, when you check out correlation coefficient, that's a nice little potential debris signature there. Usually, for to get a TDS, you want slightly higher um, base reflectivity in the area. But that may, with tropical stuff, it may be a little different in this case. And that beam height's got to keep you interested is uh, 4,000 feet too. Yes, tropical environments are so much more sensitive. You get so much more surface rotation. That's an, and yet another reminder, even well inland, you know, way far away from the center of the storm with tropical banding, you still get tornadoes. Uh, that, that, you know, with hurricanes, that's one thing. A lot of folks don't understand. They think it's just going to be a straight wind event. Well, no, there's there's smaller cells, convective cells with with rotation and tornadic activities. 
in places you wouldn't you wouldn't even think would happen. And one other thing, um, these storms, guys, maybe a lot of our viewers who are watching tonight, you know, these aren't your typical thunderstorms. You don't see a lot of lightning associated with tropical um, storms like this with tornadoes and and even just the, the rain moving in. They're like Ricky was talking about, kind of low uh, low top events. So you don't really see a lot of lightning as well. If any. Pieces. I mean, yeah. I, I was scanning. I haven't seen any along the uh, – I'm, I'm looking in the Alabama, Florida uh, panhandle right now. I don't see any lightning. That was the remarkable thing with Arthur. Remember when Arthur made landfall and I was down there um, with one of our former uh, Carolina Weather Group panelists? We were riding out at his house, and there was actually some pretty vivid lightning with the spiral rain bands of Arthur, and that surprised me. You know, you typically don't get that with the spiral bands, but this uh, that little storm managed to. Yeah, it could. You get a lot of convective wind, uh, very low, low, like very low uh, cumulus banding. And then the wind, it's almost like, you know, the, the pressures drop. So you have lower pressure and then you get the gradient is stronger along the surface. And so that's what you end up getting in these squall lines, one after another, after another, everywhere you see a convective cell in this radar image, there is strong winds associated with it. There's a surge in winds. So, you know, it could be 25 miles per hour outside of it. Once you get near it, it's going to jump up 10 to 15 miles per hour. And this is just a, a you know, a tropical storm. And you get a, a, you know, category three and four hurricane. These bands significantly much more wind. Yeah, you're right. Not a lot of lightning unless they just don't have a lot of time to grow. I mean, the vertical stacking is more concentrated around the core. The outer banding, uh, they're moving so quickly and the low level jetting is so fast that they just move along. So they just they don't have a lot of time to stack. I mean, they do, but they're quickly dissipated. And so all that, all that activity and energy is, is forced underneath. And Shay, you were talking and you and Ricky are talking about Ricky was just showing that tornado warning. Uh, the mobile office has allowed that to expire. So um, that is no more looking at uh, the NWS chat. So that's something that um, all three of us have access to and we can monitor different areas throughout the country. And so, uh, looking at the Lake Charles, uh, Louisiana chat right now, a lot of reports of flash flooding, street flooding, uh, flooding across from Lake Charles. So, uh, you know, guys, as, as well as I do, we had that uh, that flooding event last year in Louisiana, and that's just that area seems to get flood events every year. With uh, with Houston, Texas, is also another place uh, that really sees a lot of flooding, and, and it's just really low down there. A lot of lowland. And uh, this water piles up, and, and the draining system is not the best there, and we see a lot of flash flooding there. Well, and trouble a lot of times is when you get a, even a minor storm surge, and this storm is not producing a, a large storm surge, but there is a slight rise in the tides. You know, a lot of these coastal areas, where do they drain into? Well, they drain into the ocean, or they drain into the Gulf, or their nearby creeks and, and streams and uh, tributaries. Well. When the water gets pushed back up, I know from firsthand experience in Eastern Virginia, the water can actually come up through the sewer drains. And when you get heavy rainfall, it's got nowhere to go. And so that sometimes exaggerates the flooding risk even more. This is interesting. Look at this uh, visible sat image. I was going to say, yeah. The, uh, this is outflows. Yep, outflows. Yeah, definitely. all the little things, stuff right through here, all the little circulation, just as uh, Shay was saying, you know, each little one has some gusty winds. And I'll, I'll try to put a two panel up here and you can compare them side by side. Um, so are, each one of these, but 
I was just going to say each one of those uh, during during tropical events, they tend to be very strong mesovortices. So you get uh, lots of vortical swirling going on within a lot of these little cells, and um, they're trying to spin. And they're they're <laughs> that's by nature, <laughs> yeah. you know. So there's going to be a lot of those little gust lines in there. That's what I was talking about with these winds that really crank up and spike up within those convective cells. I will say uh, we do have Eric. Uh, looks like he's going to be joining us in about five minutes. Uh, he and his team cover the Memphis, uh, Tennessee area, so they're a little bit closer to Cindy than than what Ricky, Shay, and myself are. So uh, Ricky or uh, Eric will be on in just a little bit to uh, talk about the Memphis area. Go ahead, Ricky. I found a lightning strike for you right here. <laughs> hey, Mr. Destin. Or eight in the past two minutes, so it's trying, but not much. Heidi. And but there's, there's a severe thunderstorm warning for a thunderstorm. So yeah, you know, Ricky, gonna... now hold on, Ricky. That could be in Transformers blowing. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I was but... going to say that that severe warning that just came out. They put the uh, tornado possible tag on that as well. And I think you're showing us the velocities, Ricky, on that storm just a little bit ago. Yeah, let's switch radar sources again. This is uh, actually right where my dad used to live, Fort Walton Beach area. Uh, we'll switch to the Eglin Air Force Base radar. Um, and here's the, the storm. No immediate couplet that I can find. If there's anything, it's you know right through there. It's a pretty weak little tornado potential, weak little couplet. Uh, but a lot of times the tropical stuff, you kind of got to look up a little bit. There's a study I read a couple years ago that said look up. Uh, you know, one scan above that base velocity scan, and sometimes you can find a better image of the couplet. And I'm not seeing that at this moment with this storm. But certainly, you know, as Shay was talking about. Any storm does try and, and get its act together, spin a little bit. And since this one is even probably out of all of those storms in the line, the best separated from the other cells, it'll have the best inflow from the south. It'll have the best moisture coming in from the south. Uh, and maybe get its act together and, and see what it can do here the next little bit. Ricky, you brought up a good point about storm surge. So right now, actually today, Starting today and tomorrow, um, we have king tides going on. So king tides is sort of a, a different ver different word for perigean spring tides. Uh, so we're at, we're at the highest point where the moon is closest to the earth, the gravitational pull, everything is it's making the high tides higher than normal. Uh, let me see if I can share my screen. Ricky, if you don't mind, I'm going to stop presenting yours sure. real quick. Just show mine. Go back. Looking at the winds, nothing crazy in Fort Walton right now, guys. So if you're, I, I did share this to the Fort Walton group. If you're watching, nothing too crazy out there right now. And here we go. So <laughs> all above that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So Pensacola, uh, you're getting, yes, well above hat. And you can see there. So the black line represents the forecast for the tides. Uh, right now, the red line that was today. Uh, is the observations made that are intact. So it goes down to the current time right now, which is about 7.41 p.m. Central Time. I think they go by Central Time in Pensacola. And then we go into time. We see that even tomorrow, an even higher tide. So we have the rains, the driving winds, which we'll still have. We'll still have, we'll probably have more of a south or south-southwest wind versus a south or southeast wind today. Uh, and that'll drive even more water into the coastline. So with winds comes extra water. With rains comes extra water as well. So you're well above hat. You're about almost a foot and a half over hat value. So uh, that is about a foot over uh, high astronomical tide. And what that means is that's the line where they would draw for your area that would represent where flooding would start. 
So that's kind of where we are. Uh, and, and the king tides will last all the way for the next few days, and then they'll start to peter out by this weekend. But you can you can get an idea there. This is just one spot in Pensacola, Florida, that is uh, destined to basically flood. Here's Grand Isle, Louisiana. You can see well over the values. The blue line, let me go back and look at the blue line. It was the original forecast for the area. That's what with the steady tide would be, according to the NOAA tide charts, that they forecast for years out ahead of time based on the algorithm. Uh, and you can see that the verification of the red line well above that forecast and the black line again tomorrow well above hat values by almost a foot so be aware of the flooding potential for your area along the gulf coast got you're muted but you're trying to talk so i'm going to jump in ahead of you there and you know that, that's the interesting thing shay we end up dealing with these events and if you live at the coast just as you very well know in charleston we sometimes get even minor flooding and some of these big king tide uh, full moon events, especially with an area low pressure anywhere nearby where you can get some minor flooding even without some of the heavy rain. It's mm -hmm. like Eric has joined us now. So I'll let Scotty handle everything. How's it going, Eric? Hey, good evening. Can you guys hear me? Okay. We got you. We got you. We got you. Loud and clear. Awesome. Good evening. How are you guys? We're good, Erica. We're, we're stretching some time here. Uh, you're a little bit closer to Cindy than any of us. So, uh, here in the Memphis area, I guess you guys aren't too too unfamiliar with tropical events that come through the uh, through the Gulf. So, what are you guys expecting there in the Memphis area over the next few days? Well, it's uh, yeah, it's it's different for us to be the ones closer to the storm than you guys over there in uh, in the Carolinas. It's actually fairly unusual to uh, to see the uh, remnants of one of these come through the Memphis area. We've had um, a couple that have gone. Um, a couple hundred miles away where we get some rain and stuff, a little bit of wind uh, over the last, I don't know, four or five years. But as you know, it's been a pretty quiet, uh, it's been a pretty quiet tropical uh, uh, time, I guess, the last uh, the last several years. Um, so it does look like, yeah, that the storm is going to be uh, is going to be making landfall and then making a hard right turn up over uh, Louisiana and southern Arkansas. And it looks like uh, on the current track, it's going to be coming right over the Memphis area, um, probably guessing sometime during the middle of the day Friday um, the tracks are the the uh, the track has been fairly consistent but the, uh, the speed of the system has been changing somewhat and so it's kind of varied from morning to late afternoon uh, models are still having a little bit of difficulty with the exact speed of the system once it ejects out into the westerlies but it uh, looks like it'll be a daytime event on Friday um, we'll we're actually uh, started getting the uh, the cloud cover today um, and we'll uh, start to see kind of the outer edge of the uh, rain bands, uh, maybe the first rain band starting to move in overnight tonight. <clears throat> um, so we're looking for showers to move in tonight, really not expecting anything strong. The, the wind is uh, running about 10 to 15 miles an hour or so right now, and, and it'll stay like that uh, with just showers overnight. And then uh, tomorrow it looks like <clears throat> that uh, first kind of band moves through tonight into early tomorrow morning. Um, during the day tomorrow, it kind of looks like a little bit of a lull, although, you know, in this kind of atmosphere where we've got dew points in the lower 70s and, and the system off to our west, we could certainly see scattered showers and some thunderstorms. And actually, there's a, a slight risk um, that extends up just to the uh, south of the Memphis area uh, through western Mississippi, Louisiana, southeastern Arkansas, kind of the east of that track, as you'd expect. You know, that's where the, the threat of uh, brief spin-up tornadoes is. 
Um, looks like that'll stay to our south though for tomorrow. But if we get a little bit of uh, a lull in the in the shower and thunderstorm activity, um, we could get a little bit of heating, and that that could contribute to a few thunderstorms around here during the day tomorrow. <clears throat> and it looks like another um, potential band um, in you know, and I've said that on our blog earlier this evening. Trying to time out bands going out 24 to 36 hours is pretty difficult. Um, but it looks like we may get another round um, heading into the overnight hours tomorrow night. And then as that low moves through um, into southern Arkansas, uh, we'll definitely start to see more of an impact. I think the winds will pick up a little bit. During the day Friday, it looks like um, that low is going to track maybe just to the north of Memphis. Um, and again, that's that's a little bit up in the air, too. Uh, models are still having a little bit of difficulty with exactly uh, where that track runs, but uh, as I mentioned in the blog, if we go, if that low goes to our north, we'll be in the white right quadrant uh, of the storm as it moves by from southwest to northeast. So we could get uh, some convection and possibly a brief spin-up tornado again uh, on Friday. Friday looks like the heavy rain day, um, and right now they're uh, calling for anywhere from two to about four inches possible in the uh, in the mid south here. Um, could see some isolated higher amounts, but uh, Friday will be when we get the, the biggest slug of moisture <clears throat> as that low passes over. And again, depending on the track, um, right now it looks like northern Mississippi probably has the better opportunity for those brief spin-up tornadoes. And we don't, we don't get these a whole lot, but I think the farther inland it gets, um, the weaker it gets, the threat of tornadoes uh, also goes down a little bit as well. So I, I think it's probably a remote chance, but still something to consider. Uh, and then it looks like maybe it moves out to Friday night and... Uh, and hopefully our weekend is not too bad. So, interesting thing we were talking about for small little spin-up tornadoes. The one thing we typically have going against us sometimes when we talk about tornadic development in our area is uh, LCL height. Probably don't have to worry about that with tropical moisture at all. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> yeah, that that and the uh, wind shear are both uh, are both typically. Uh, present that you just got to get uh, a lot of times just a little bit of destabilization maybe ahead of a feeder band or something to kind of kind of kick one of those off so eric how um eric how how's your rain situation been leading up to this event i know here in the carolinas it's been really wet over the past couple of months uh i'm sure you guys uh you guys kind of above normal rainfall wise is this going to create some big flooding concerns um, we, we definitely could have some, um, some possibility of some flash flooding. Uh, actually we're really not too bad right now. We've had some events, um, that have been fairly significant over the last, uh, few weeks, but they've been separated by, um, by some fairly drier periods between those. Um, and our rainfall to date is actually a little bit below normal. Um, so I think we'll be able to take some now if we get, you know, two inches in an hour or something like that, of course, that's going to. Uh, that's going to cause some problems, and I think the better threat of that is going to be on Friday. They have not issued flash flood watches for us yet, even with the potential rain for tomorrow. So I think uh, I think that's a uh, you know tip of the hat to the fact that uh, that rainfalls tomorrow probably won't be as heavy, and we're we're capable of taking some water at this point before it really gets uh, gets to be a problem. But Friday, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a flash flood watch out, and then and then just issuing warnings as necessary if uh, as that system moves overhead. Um, could be, you know, some pretty uh, obviously tropical rains. You're going to get uh, pretty efficient rainfall out of those, and so not uh, not unusual to see inch and a half, two inches in an hour if you get uh, if you get a heavy band right over top. We were talking earlier about some of the uh, the river potential for flooding. You know, some of the upstream areas that get some flooding across or get a lot of rain, I should say, across central Kentucky, central Tennessee. 
you know, does any of that water flow down into your area? Yeah, that all um, that's all part of the Mississippi River Basin. Um, and so the Tennessee River flows into the Ohio River right near its um, its uh, confluence into the Mississippi River up uh, around west of Paducah, Kentucky, uh, Cairo, Illinois. And that all flows to the south. Um, fortunately, our kind of spring um, flood period is gone. Um, so the uh, I was just a matter of fact, I was just going to check the gauge here at Memphis and see what it's at because I haven't looked at it in a while. But um, a month or so ago, uh, we definitely would have been a little more concerned. We were above flood stage here in Memphis, which is not, you know, atypical for uh, uh, spring, late April, May time period. Um, but yeah, even with the rainfall here, the forecast uh, keeps it many feet below flood stage. So I think the Mississippi will be fine. Uh, some of the tributaries, the smaller tributaries that flow into the Mississippi, um, since since that river is pretty low, um, they tend to handle the water and push it off. You know, they flow right directly into the into the main stem here in Memphis. So um, they tend to wash off pretty quickly as well. But um, some of them could get uh, could get a little bit higher if we get, you know, a, a decent amount of rain in a short period of time. But uh, overall, I don't think there's going to be too much of a threat of river flooding out of this. Uh, the main concern I think we're going to have is going to be, um, you know, that flash flooding and then the urban flooding, which we tend to get here too, which is, you know, all the concrete and everything. You guys are familiar with that over in your major cities as well. You know, areas that uh, you get an inch of rain and you just know to avoid. <laughs> um, that That's definitely a, a concern here as well. All right. Scotty, I think that's pretty much all we got. <laughs> We've kind yeah, of dissected was, most of gonna, it. I was going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, folks are, are asking, what's going on in the tropics right now? Well, you know, why are we having all this activity? And, um, you know, it's not very common to see this much action in June. We do, like I said earlier, in the Gulf, uh, we, we tend to get some, some systems that fire off in the Gulf. In fact, that's a little bit normal for this time of the year to see a system. But it, they're usually more of a homegrown system. They're, they're close to the coast tail end of a cold front with a high pressure to the north, driving down into it and gets a little spin going. And then next thing you know, we have a small system trying to develop that quickly goes onto land. Uh, so this one came from the Yucatan Peninsula, basically a lot of moisture transfer from the Eastern Pacific into the Gulf with easterly trades all mixing together the right ingredients. We, all, we almost had another situation about a week and a half ago that we were watching as well. It was, it was actually a crossover storm. Uh, I think it was Beatrice that went ashore of southern Mexico along Chiapas and Oaxaca. And then that system drifted across into the Gulf and gave us a nice washout along the cold front through the southeast region there. So that's actually two systems from the Eastern Pacific, uh, or two, two batches of energy from the Eastern Pacific that have drifted northward to cause uh, some sort of rainfall or effects here along the Eastern United States, that, that sort of energy transfer. Uh, I'll go ahead and share screen. We'll take a look at um, what to expect down the road. I know we're going to look at the GFS again. And this is just sort of eh, once you get out to about 108 hours out, things start to become erroneous. But you can see the large Bermuda Azores Ridge that's built from basically the Azores all the way to Bermuda. And you'll see that this high pressure, this is a typical blocking pattern in the summer, where this high pressure just dominates the entire Atlantic Ocean. And that's what drives us easterly trades. And all the waves coming off of Africa, you see one trying to form there. This is really, really early out to tell. You're talking 186 hours. That little wave right there uh, probably won't be there by the time the hours come around to it. Uh, but we also look at the Saharan air layer. And this is dust that is pushed aloft and comes off of the coast of Africa. This is at the mid-levels at about 18,000 feet. This dust is iron-rich. It basically is. It causes cool air, cool, dry air 
at the mid-levels that systems cannot develop from. They, it's just too dry of an environment. It's too stable of an environment for systems. You can see these tropical waves coming off of Africa, one after the other, and dissipating uh, into this, basically, this Saharan air layer. Or some, we call it the SAL. So that's always something we look at. Uh, the one that we got, Brett, snuck pretty far south of this air layer, and, and the air layer relaxed just a little bit. It comes and goes in pulses. We call this the dusty tongue of the Atlantic, and it extends all the way out over into areas of Puerto Rico and even as far as Miami, Florida, where we get some of that dust fallout in northern South America. Uh, makes for really cool sunsets, but it is, is always something that we, we try to keep an eye on because mid-levels is where a lot of tropical systems get their energy from. If you get a mid-level low over a surface low, your chances are pretty good for a tropical system to develop. Uh, when it does not have that mid-level low or it cannot develop it, then you usually will not see that. Uh, so that's it for the at least the uh, eastern Atlantic. The Gulf is going to be quiet for the next few days. Uh, we start to look at the El Nino. Uh, El Nino values are high. We go from west to east from the western central Pacific, uh, basically, or the western Pacific over and from one region to another. Uh, looks like values are high right now. At least uh, they may jump around a little bit. We need a 0.5 above uh, zero in order to get El Nino values, which uh, there's been some talk about sliding back into an El Nino before the end of the summer, uh, but but plume models are, are starting to sort of trend. There's kind of splitting. There's more of a consensus that will stay in a neutral phase for the rest of the year. However, uh, that could change in time. And this is Nino 3, which is getting into towards the eastern Pacific and then the far eastern Pacific near South America. This is always a very volatile region. It's not really something you can really go by. You have to gauge uh, for South American coastline. It's very important to know when it's really high. Uh, because you get higher rain events in that area. But uh, let me see if I can find the discussion. I thought I had it up here with the plume model discussion. Oh, there it is right there. Okay, good. So um, here, here's mid-May. This is the latest from what's called the ENSO diagnostics from NOAA, the predictions. Um, this graph basically is showing us what the trend is for us to slide into an El Nino season or neutral or La Nina. La Nina being 0.5 degrees Celsius below the zero line and El Nino being 0.5 degrees Celsius above the zero line. You can see the plume models are split. Uh, the main averages keep, uh, most of the averages keep below, right at or below to neutral. Uh, we, we do see sort of a dynamic average going up above that. And we'll have to watch and see what happens, but it looks like it's not going to occur until late summer, early uh, fall. So these these letters down here are we have um, April, May, June, May, June, July, July, June, July, August, and so on and so forth. Uh, where when you get further out in time, these plumes start to split even more. So we're just not sure yet. We're in, we're still in neutral. They have not issued an El Nino watch. Uh, I don't expect that to happen in the next few months. I think we'll stay in neutral, uh, and we'll keep the NOAA forecast hurricanes. So um, I think, what was it, Ricky? I need to look that up again. I think about 14 or 15 named storms. I think Do you recall? Right. I think you're yeah. right, Shay. So we'll, um, uh, we'll one, have to keep watching. One thing we, we haven't touched on a lot is sea surface temperatures. How are those looking? Sea surface temperatures. That is a good question. Let me pull up. I'm going to have to do some typing, so bear with me. One of my favorite products to use for sea surface temperatures is the NASA Sport SST. Uh, this gives you a um, two kilometer, which is a high resolution real time uh, data. If you look at the Gulf of Mexico, we're probably going to see 
this change, when you see the track of Cindy come through, you'll see a swath. Uh, you can actually kind of get a footprint of the storm in, in this area, wherever a tropical system goes through. It's kind of neat. So that's the Gulf of Mexico. It's like upper, you know, mid to upper 80s. It's probably going to cool down just a little bit. That surface layer is not very thick. So we talk about tropical cyclone heat potential, uh, where you have enough heat at the surface to, to capture uh, enough depth in the water to fuel the storm. So we call that the pelagic or the epipelagic zone of the water and how deep that water is, how warm, I'm sorry, how deep the warm layer is in that water really uh, can make or break a system. If there's a lot of upwater, I'm sorry, cool water upwelling, starting to fumble my words here. Uh, then that tends to dissipate a system when you get cooler water at the surface. Uh, it doesn't have a lot to feed off of from the surface. So we'll, we'll probably see this map change over the next day or two when it fills in from um, today's activity from there. And um, if we look at, let's see, southeast region, a little bit of cooling along the shelf waters. And that's from a lot of rain, heavy rain events. We got a little bit of offshore winds across central and northern Florida. So we have some cool water upwelling there. Uh, we also have, let's see, southern region, eastern region north. Okay. Um, sea surface temperatures up there. Of course, the Labrador current and the cooler waters, uh, things stay pretty cool up that way. But along the Gulf Stream in the southeast, we, we stay pretty warm this time of the year. In fact, I'm surprised that there's, right along the coastline, it's still pretty warm. And we were registering Go to data scope, I'll tell you the exact temperatures. And here, at least here in Charleston, we're at 82.8 degrees. So right along the immediate coastline, we're still, that, that pier is down at Myrtle Beach still from Matthew. Uh, 79.2 degrees at Wilmington and Savannah, uh, 83.2 degrees. So we're like upper 70s to low 80s along the immediate east coast. But uh, right out here along the Florida Hatteras Slope, and the Blake Plateau looks like it's cooled off a little bit. Maybe had a little cool water injection. Uh, maybe some of this cool water upwelling from Florida kind of filtering to the north along the southerly winds. That's what I'm thinking is happening uh, when you get these offshore winds. You get that cool water upwelling just off the coastline. So that's kind of what's going on uh, for our sea surface temperatures. They're not really changing very much for the Carolinas. We're in the upper 70s, even all the way up in North Carolina, upper 70s to low 80s, uh, down to from, I would say, Jacksonville, Florida, all, all the way up to Wilmington, North Carolina. And then it starts to, you know, a few cool pockets when you get into the Outer Banks. Back to you, Scotty. Thank you, and I think Eric, did you have something to uh, wanted to mention? Uh, he was uh, he was talking about the um, where the storms form this time of year, and I thought it was, and I and I think it was borne out by statistics that 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 Brett really was uh, an anomaly coming, having an Atlantic uh, or an, an Eastern Atlantic wave coming across uh, this time of year. I know usually those those storms that cross the uh, Atlantic. Uh, don't usually really start get going until uh, you know peak of season August to September and a lot of the a lot of the development obviously on is is right in the Gulf of Mexico and Caribbean this time of year which is what we got with Cindy but uh, it was pretty unusual to see I, I don't remember if it was uh, Ryan Maui or somebody that tweeted that they hadn't from you know the 150 year historical record there'd never been a storm that formed uh, in that area of the uh, in that area of the ocean this early in the year so pretty pretty unusual yeah it is i mean right off of the the southern i mean the way that the itz itcz is set up this time of the year you don't get a lot of these spins i mean they're, they're further south uh they, they just don't get a lot of i mean th that wave held together right off the coastline all the way over so yeah i mean that was it was pretty impressive it even it even got it made its way through a lot of dry air as a small compact wave 
uh, that once it, once it got to the, I would say, a couple hundred miles east of the uh, Windward Islands, it, that wave axis turned over to the northwest, and then the whole thing just sort of started coming together. So what do you think, so, guys? Pretty impressive. Okay. Can we read into that at all for whether we're going to have an active IT, IT, ITCZ? Boy, that's something that's hard to get out there. Uh, <laughs> zone, you know, with the, with the waves off of Africa? That's a good question. We have to look at the uh, sea surface temperature anomalies and keep an eye on those. Uh, there was a nice warm body off the African coast along the ITCZ. Uh, but the seven-day change, it's gotten a little bit cooler. It's kind of been up and down and inconsistent. But if that if that body of water stays warm, and it all has to do with the Hadley the Hadley cell and Walker circulations along that area as how much air is sinking, cooler air sinking, and, and how much warm air is rising, um, it's, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be tricky to see. We'll have to watch. I'd say we, we probably know in the next three or four weeks if we're going to have a pretty active season as to how long that uh, uh, warm body stays in that area, especially even even in the northeast off the northeast United States. Uh, who, who was we had that, that that guest on that talked about that area being a hot spot for tropical system or at least a hurricane to make it up that way? Hurricane City. Um, yes, Jim. Hurricane City. Yeah. It, it's remarkable to me though. I cannot recall the last time we had a Cape Verde hurricane make its way towards or into the United States. Do you any of you recall the last one? No, I mean the last active season was what two thousand. I mean, m m pretty active season two thousand five. I can't, I can't remember if one affected us then, but a lot of the big ones recently have been forming in the Caribbean. You had Sandy, you had Matthew, I think, form the Caribbean. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, we had a whole sloth of systems last year. They had to, they had to create an entirely high resolution separate. Uh, product and then just for South Carolina, we had so many systems. There was so much crossover in the paths uh, over time that they just said, "All right, we're going to put a, a really high resolution uh, map in there to, to for everybody to see what all the activity happened." But a lot of those came; they came up from the the Caribbean area. They they, they sort of came together there, and a couple of them along tail ends of cold fronts or just uh, waves that came out along the ITCZ, along the western ITCZ, at least, along that area. So, I guess the last yeah. one, uh, 2012, there was Isaac, and that formed, oh boy, going back in time here, let's see, that formed not near the Cape Verde Islands, but it did form, you know, in the middle of the Atlantic and moved west. Hmm. Of course, we had other storms that year, too. 2012 was an active And that was actually... That was actually one of the last ones to um, bring any impact here to the to our area too. It, it kind of fell apart over southern Arkansas. But we got some rain out of it. Um, yeah. Remember Isaac? Isaac's probably the last storm I remember too. That was a huge rainmaker for Louisiana. I would think it sat there for like a good amount of time and just flooded Louisiana like crazy. Yeah. One thing I want to hit before we. And we've we've turned this into an hour show. I didn't, I didn't think we could do that, but we did. Uh, one thing we have one thing I want to I want to talk about, and we this is our first experience with it. National Hurricane Center kind of put out some new products this uh, go around uh, this year with uh, potential tropical cyclone development, and actually I think uh, the possibility of issuing warnings and stuff before systems 
uh, or watches and warnings advisories before uh, systems are fully formed. What do you guys early opinion uh, too early to tell right now, or should we give it a couple more storms? What do you guys think? I think from my perspective, now granted, I'm a meteorologist. I understand all this stuff and I, I know what they're meaning. And I grew up on the coast, so I understand tropical weather. And I think, you know, get what the hurricane center is trying to do. I love it personally only because it gives just much more advanced warning. Think about the places along the Gulf Coast. You wouldn't have had, yeah, I think they gave them like 18 plus hours advance notice for a tropical storm from a watcher warning perspective, at least with a, a product out. The issue I think comes for a lot of meteorologists and calling it a cyclone and calling it a potential. I really don't get that. I think a lot of it is just a lack of maybe understanding what the hurricane center is trying to do. I, I heard a lot of people saying, why can't we just call it a potential tropical storm? Whatever. I was like, well, because each of those has specific definitions. It's kind of the same thing we ran into with Sandy. You know, the, the terminology sometimes comes into play. I, I was really interested to get Stacy on here and hopefully we can ask these questions at a later time too, to see kind of how the hurricane center developed this, whether they talked to some social scientists, whether they got some input or, or, you know, how they came to the idea of calling it a potential cyclone instead of a potential, you know, anything else. Well, one thing that there's got to be some clarification with this because, uh, and there is clarification, don't get me wrong, but uh, it's going to take some time to sort of get into the habit of using this because first of all, a wave is an invest if, if there's potential for it. And that's still going to be used. Now, if it's going to be a possible threat to land, that's when they're going to start using potential, potential cyclone terminology, uh, potential tropical cyclone, which PTC for many of us has always meant post-tropical cyclone. So, um, you know, I think for Mets, it might be a little bit of a, a uh, little bit of a task to get used to, but, um, they're, they're trying to get this PTC terminology or nomenclature instilled in order to get the warning systems out for these islands, especially when you get into the windward islands, lesser Antilles, greater Antilles, you're, you're dealing with, uh, a different kind of governorship there. They have to make a call on it. The mayors do. Uh, versus here, we have a weather authority issued the tropical storm warnings. We have to get this word out to them. So the potential tropical cyclone may have some implications there that we're not very well aware of, uh, politically speaking. So there, there could be some tie-in with that. That's kind of my, my take on it. There's always a sort of a flip side to the coin that we may not know about. But uh, yeah, there's been some some definite people saying, what the, what's the deal with this thing? So that that's just to be clear is only if there's going to be land affected or there's potential for land to be affected, they'll put this PTC terminology in there. So it'll go from invest to PTC to depression to tropical storm to hurricane. Uh, it could very well do it in that order. <laughs> it is interesting, though. <laughs> it seems like we always jump tropical depression state and go straight to storm. And it's just, I think, because we have better technology now to detect the winds in a storm. And oftentimes they're at tropical storm strength by the time it becomes a fully tropical cyclone. Eric. Yeah, that, that definitely plays into it. I'm just, uh, I'm just curious to see the first time that they issue this potential tropical cyclone and then it doesn't develop. Yeah. Um, what happens when you put the warnings out and you know, I, this one, I, I kind of had my doubts about for a little bit, especially when they first, when they first put that out, because you know, there was still some question, is it going to become tropical or will it be subtropical? And is it going to, you know, eventually, obviously, it, it got its kind of act together. But, um, you know, what you, you're always a little wary in, in the weather community of, of crying wolf um, and calling something before it gets there. And, you know, is there going to be 
pressure on the hurricane center if they've called it a potential storm well it's kind of borderline but it's about to make landfall we got to call it something so that we can verify our statistics um, i think they held off pretty long on this one too before even naming it a potential cyclone i think they they held off probably for an extra day when it came down to that designation well and, and was that just because you can't really call it that until you get it within watch until it's within watch criteria which is 48 hours so you really can't call it that until you're within 48 hours of landfall when you can officially issue the watch because that's the only time they're going to call it that so well, all good questions for stacy when he when he joins yeah us. i'll be interested to hear all that well we'll invite you back on eric for that show we'll, we'll let you know our reschedule and you can you can join us so well, uh, i appreciate you reaching out tonight too thank you yeah before before we log off uh i want to a want to let you go ahead one last time kind of talk about uh what you're telling your people what the effects is going to be uh for the memphis area and then kind of promote uh your social media and how our followers can uh to reach you yep absolutely so uh the remnants, I guess it'll probably be a tropical depression, uh, Cindy, when it comes uh, pretty close to right over the Memphis area during the day Friday. Um, we're uh, looking at the uh, risk of uh, showers and thunderstorms tomorrow, um, a slight chance to our south mainly for a few brief spin-up tornadoes. Tomorrow shouldn't be too bad other than just a kind of a wet day. Uh, Friday move right overhead. We're looking for uh, sustained winds probably in the 25 to 30, maybe as much as 30. Um, right near the center could gust to 40 and watching again to the to the right of the track for potential isolated uh, tornado spin-ups. A um, lot of water. Looks like we're going to be uh, two to four inches by the time this is all done for a good part of the uh, area right here around Memphis. So we'll hope that it clears out and makes for a nice weekend. I do know there's nice high pressure building in next week. Dew points are going to drop. We're looking really forward to uh, getting past this and enjoying a little more springtime weather here in the middle of summer now. So um, that should be good. Uh, appreciate you having me on. You can uh, follow me at Memphis Weather One. It's the number one Memphis Weather One uh, for Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube uh, blog, and um, mobile apps. We've got uh, Stormwatch Plus, which uh, covers the whole nation. So if you're over there watching the Carolinas, uh, check out Stormwatch Plus for your, uh, for your iPhone. It'll give you those severe weather warnings when they come out from the weather service you put in your location, and it will uh, send those warnings directly to you. You've got weather service forecasts. It's all weather service-driven data. So you've got you know, local METs driving the information that goes to that app. We'd love you to check it out. Yep, I got it right here, Stormwatch. So it's See, there you go. There you go. So, uh, thank and you. It, yeah, no problem. And, and if any of our followers ever traveling through Memphis or, or maybe have family there, or, you know, vacation home, whatever, make sure you follow Eric and those guys over there. They do a great job. And Eric, you guys have a great relationship uh, with the people there and also the weather service. So that's uh, always some, some good kudos there uh, for everything you guys do there in the Memphis area. Thanks. And anytime you guys are coming over to Graceland or for some barbecue, let me know. <laughs> That's it. All right, guys. Well, we'll log off here tonight. So, uh, Ricky, uh, uh, for Ricky and Shay, uh, we thank you guys for watching our, um, you know, our hurricanes or tropical storm Cindy coverage. Uh, kind of a uh, last minute thing here. We'll very, uh, we're very closely with the wet hurricane center to uh, get Stacy back on. Hopefully, we can uh, get that rescheduled very soon. So, again, thanks for watching tonight. Next week, we have Mike Cox and Amber. Or, uh, oh man, I can't remember her. Jennifer Wojinski with uh, Weather Eye. They uh, both uh, Mike and. and uh, Jennifer, they work uh, kind of doing weather through the radio, through the airwaves. So we're going to kind of talk about that next week. So make sure you join us. And then after that, we're going to have John Ziegler on. He's the new chief meteorologist at the uh, Fox affiliate in Charlotte. That's uh, the July 5th show. So some exciting shows coming up. And 
the whole month of July is scheduled, and I think Shay, uh, almost everything in August is already scheduled. So uh, we we've done pretty well scheduling everything. So uh, make sure you uh, tune in and uh, log on to our Facebook page, keep up with our our schedule, and, and make sure that you're subscribed to our uh, podcast and. Uh, follow us along there. So for everyone here at the Carolina Weather Group, we hope you have a great weekend, and we'll see you next Wednesday night.